Chapter Five of the True Life Story of Swiftwater Bill Gates. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The True Life Story of Swiftwater Bill Gates by Iola Beebe. Chapter Five. Mama said Bera to me, Mrs. Ainsley is not nearly so well today, and Mr. Hathaway said when he came down from the hospital this afternoon that she wanted to see you sure this evening about seven o'clock. Mrs. Ainsley had been desperately ill at Providence Hospital for weeks, and she was a woman of whom I had known in earlier days, and whose sad plight, her husband was dead and she was alone in the world, had induced me to do all I could for her. It was scarcely more than a week following the evening that Swiftwater and Mr. Hathaway was host at dinner at the hotel that Bera took what I realized afterwards was an unusual and unexpected interest in Mrs. Ainsley's case. Since the dinner engagement, Swiftwater had been just ordinarily attentive to myself and my two daughters, although frequently asking us to go to the theater with him and sending flowers almost daily to our apartments. I had not seen Mrs. Ainsley for two or three days, and my conscience rather troubled me about her, so that when on this day, a day that will never fade from my mind as long as I live, nor from that of Bera or Swiftwater, I quickly fell into Bera's plans and determined to get some things together for Mrs. Ainsley, including a bunch of roses from a vase on my dresser, and go to the hospital after dinner. Providence Hospital was scarcely more than five blocks from our apartments. I had not seen anything of Swiftwater or Hathaway all day. Tired even beyond the ordinary, it had been a long, hard fight to get my affairs in shape for the northern trip, I left the apartments a little before seven o'clock that fateful evening, and walked up Second Avenue to Madison, and thence up to Fifth Avenue to Providence Hospital. Mrs. Ainsley is feeling some better, Mrs. Beebe, but the doctor is in there now, and you will have to wait for a few minutes, the head nurse told me at the landing on the second floor. The steamer Humboldt was sailing for Alaska that night, and I had managed to get off a few things consigned to myself at Dawson, and had seen them safely placed aboard ship. As I sat waiting for the signal to come into Mrs. Ainsley's room, it must have been a half hour or more before the nurse came to me and said I should enter, a curious feeling came over me regarding Bera. I had never known of her speaking about Mrs. Ainsley, and somehow or other I could not get out of my mind the thought that possibly Swiftwater and his friend Hathaway might leave a Skagway on the Humboldt. Philosophers may talk of a woman's sixth sense, as some people talk of the cunning of a cat. Whatever it was, as the nurse beckoned me to come into Mrs. Ainsley's room, I quickly arose, went in, and said to the sick woman, Mrs. Ainsley, I am awfully glad to see that you are better, and I wanted to visit with you for an hour, but I have overstayed my time already, and I must hurry back to my rooms. Then I quickly turned, and in another minute I was hurrying down the Madison Street Hill to the Hinckley Block. In every step I took nearer my home, there came a keener and more tense pulling at my heartstrings, a feeling that something had happened in my own home. It was no wonder that the elevator boy in the Hinckley block was dumbfounded to see me rush across Second Avenue and halfway up the stairs to the second floor before he could call to me saying he would take me up in the car if I was not in too big a hurry. 
The next moment I was in my rooms, and for the life of me I cannot begin to describe their looks. My clothes and personal belongings were scattered all over the room. My big trunk had been emptied of its contents and was missing. The bureau drawers were empty, and the place really looked like a Kansas rancher's house after a cyclone. On the dresser was a little note, in Bera's handwriting, held down by a bronze paperweight, surmounted by a tiny but beautiful miniature of a woman's form. It was Bera's last birthday gift to me. We have gone to Alaska with Swiftwater and Mr. Hathaway. Do not worry, Mama, as when we get there we will look out for your hotel. Bera. That was Bera's note. I looked at my watch. It was 7.25, and I knew the Humboldt sailed at 8 o'clock. I rushed down four flights of stairs, never thinking of the elevator, gained the street, and hailed a passing hackman. You can have this if you get to the Humboldt at Schwabacher's dock before she sails, I cried as the cabbie drew his team to the curb, and then I handed him a ten-dollar gold piece. Whipping his horses to a gallop, the hackman drove at a furious pace down First Avenue to Spring Street and thence to the dock. He all but knocked over a policeman as the horses under his whip surged through the crowd which stood around the dock waiting for the departure of the Humboldt. My two daughters are on that boat, and Swiftwater Bill Gates has stolen them from me, I shouted as I grabbed hold of the arm of a big policeman near the entrance to the dock. I want you to get those girls off that boat before she sails, no matter what happens. In another minute, the policeman was fighting his way with all the force of his 250 pounds through the mob of 5,000 people that hung around the gangplank of the Humboldt. The ship's lights were burning brightly, and everybody was laughing and talking, and a few women crying as they said goodbye to husbands, sweethearts, or friends aboard the ship. It was just exactly ten minutes before sailing time when we finally made our way to the main deck through the crowd. I fairly shouted to the captain on the bridge, My two daughters are on this ship hidden away, and I want them taken off this boat before you leave. Captain Bateman looked at me a moment as if he wanted to throw me overboard. Who are your daughters, and what are they doing on my ship? My daughters are Blanche and Barabibi, and Swift Daughter Bill has stolen them and is taking them to Alaska. I am Mrs. Beebe, their mother. For the moment, that ended the discussion with Captain Bateman. Instantly turning to a quartermaster, he said, Help this woman find her daughters. A half an hour, and then an hour passed, as we worked our way from one stateroom to another on the saloon deck and the upper deck, without avail. Captain Bateman was furious at the delay. "'Mrs. Beebe, I do not believe your daughters are here,' he said. "'Swiftwater has engaged one room, but we have not seen them yet.' Just then the quartermaster turned to unlock the door of a stateroom on the starboard side near the stern of the ship. The lock failed to work. "'There is somebody in there,' he said, "'and the door is locked from the inside.' "'Break it in,' ordered Captain Bateman. The next instant the door flew off its hinges as the big quartermaster shoved a burly shoulder against it. The room was dark. I rushed in to find Bera lying on the couch, sobbing as if her heart would break. As quickly as possible I got the girls out and turned them over to the custody of Captain Bateman. 
These are my daughters, and I will not allow them to be taken from me." "Take 'em ashore," ordered Captain Bateman to the quartermaster. "But I want you to find that scoundrel Swiftwater," said I, turning on the policeman who stood just behind me. "You'll not keep us here any longer," angrily said the ship's master. "Oh, yes, we will," said the officer, showing more grit than I expected. Then began the search all over again. The hurricane deck was the last resort, the ship having been searched from her hold clear through the steerage and saloon cabins to the main deck. On the main deck there were a half-dozen lifeboats securely lashed in their proper places. It was dark by this time, but curiously enough there was a little fluttering electric arc light near the end of the warehouse on the dock close to the after end of the boat. The lamp must have been burning that night through some of the mysterious and indefinable laws of providence or some other thing, because by its glare I could see a huddled, shapeless black form underneath the last lifeboat on the upper deck. "'That's him!' I said, pointing to the shapeless mass in the shadow of the lifeboat. The policeman walked over to the boat, stretched forth a big muscular arm, grasped the formless object, and drew forth— Swiftwater Bill. Come to the station with us, said the officer, as he helped Bill adjust his silk tie. End of chapter 5